You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Seats Out, we're going to talk about what we call now Neo-Christianity. Call them Neo-Christians is the title. And this is the title of a paper that Chuck Carlson just published. And we'll reference a link to that story. But this came about from a Denver Street Fair, where organizations had tables in Denver, downtown Denver. And Chuck had a very interesting experience there, and we've all had this over the years, encountering people at different events in front of churches and so forth. And I've been as guilty as anybody is that we've got all the facts. We know the truth. And so we try to convince people by giving them the facts, well, that doesn't always work. And so what happens is we can get in big debates, egos get ruffled, people get angry, you name it, it happens. So we want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to define what neo-Christianity is. According to Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, Neo-Christianity is a reinterpretation of Christianity in terms of a current philosophy. And as an example, they use rationalism in the 19th century. And we would add Christian Zionism in the 20th century. Neos is a Greek word meaning young or new. So it's a new idea. So you've got neoconservatism. You've got neo-Nazis. Those are the new Nazis. It doesn't necessarily have a pejorative effect, but it does, in some respects, actually have a pejorative effect. And so, as Chuck will talk about here, it's not quite as in-your-face as Christian Zionism. So many people that we would identify as Christian Zionists don't want to be labeled that. They don't even know they are one of those. Chuck, why don't you... Tell us about what happened at the Denver Street Fair. This is really an everyday event in our lives. Anytime we go out and meet people, especially uh, if we're not perfectly prepared for the circumstance when we meet them. I was uh, helping a, a local group here called Coloradoans for Justice in Palestine, and they wear Palestine on their shirt. Uh, they have Palestinian shawls. Uh, they have Palestinian posters, flags. They have memorabilia at their booth. And at a street fair, they're there to talk to people and find other sympathetic people who will help them with their projects in promoting freedom of the Palestinian people. This is, of course, a noble task, and I uphold it entirely. Jewish Voice for Peace is one of the members of this uh, little coalition. Sabil is a member. We hold these truths as a member. We all just help each other out. And they've come to vigils with us and so on. Usually at the vigil, we control the background, the signs and so on that are used, and the literature. And at this particular place, the literature was controlled by the leadership of 
Power Runs for Justice in Palestine. I say all this because as people walked by, and there were hundreds in the morning that I was there, and later there would be many thousands who would walk through this carnival atmosphere with music and all kinds of things going on, food. And our booth, of course, talked about the Palestinian problem. And when people talked to me, I immediately shifted it to the peace idea, the notion of peace in general. As is usual, we would expect most people who are not sympathetic to the Palestinian cause would quickly recognize that this uh, tent uh, was pro-Palestinian in every respect, and therefore they would tend to look the other way, walk by, and look at something else. My calculation would be that about 25% of the people who would wander past a exhibit of this kind would probably be influenced by neo-Christianity, as we referred to it, or this being neo-Christianity because it stems from the work of Cyrus I. Schofield in 1908. So uh, 1908 is pretty recent Christianity. 110 years would be probably newer than the, the Seventh-day Adventists or the the Mormon Church would be older than that. There would be Jehovah Witnesses I don't know about, but there are very few prominent religious groups or cults today that are well known that uh, are not older than is this Schofield-influenced dispensational Christianity. And so since we date it to that, we basically have started to use the term neo-Christian in place of Christian Zionism because so many people now are offended by the statement Christian Zionism. Only one genuine, dedicated Christian Zionist stopped at our booth on the morning that I was on duty, and I happened to see her catch her eye and start a conversation with her, tell her we were about peace, and ask her if she was for peace, and she was. And from there on, the conversation broke down completely for a couple of reasons. One was that she knew that we were a pro-Palestinian organization, and she was deep down inside a radical Zionist. I eventually told her that. That, of course, is a giant mistake. You can't call people names and get along with them. And we ended up with, with a heated discussion, which is exactly what I didn't want to happen, but I let it happen. It happens to all of us. Uh, we all get mad at what seems to be unbridled ignorance to us. It tends to make us mad. So I thought it would be well to talk a little bit about how we go about talking to the really radical Christian Zionists. This little lady was probably 35 or, or, or so. She had probably been in four or five years of intense Bible study somewhere, uh, maybe with uh, one of the national Bible study firms. Uh, she was a member of Calvary Chapel South, which is a big Calvary Chapel-oriented church. All of those that we've ever encountered have been uh, very much Zionist. We don't know if they've entertained John Hagee there or not. But she came from a background where you would expect her to be very much a neo-Christian. In other words, a follower of the philosophy of Cyrus I. Schofield, which is influencing people today greatly and started out with the notion that the state of Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That's exactly where Schofield's theology began. So definitely a neo-Christian in the sense that uh, Tom provided a definition of something that's uh, very new and uh, that is a basic change in Christianity. It, it creates a, 
essential change. Christians who are members of, and I call this woman Sarah, for lack of a better uh, term, but uh, people who are members of Sarah's church would not want to be told that their faith is new, that they've adopted something new. They'd want to be say that they were Jesus followers right back to day one. But they uh, would be more inclined to talk to you about it than they would to discuss whether they're Zionist Christians. So in this case, this lady, of course, the way she got under my skin was I made a basic mistake. I allowed the conversation to shift from our spiritual beliefs, what we have in common and, and where we have differences. I allowed the conversation to shift to secular facts about the occupation of Palestine. And so the first thing I'd like to make clear is that in a situation like this, where you talk to someone who is obviously a Christian Zionist in every respect, you don't call them a Christian Zionist. And secondly, you must not get involved in secular discussions because they will have a degree of brainwashing that causes them to laugh at you if you tell them that the Palestinians do not fire missiles, for instance, and that, that actually happened. This woman was telling me how the Palestinians are constantly firing missiles into Israel. I corrected her and uh, told her they, they have no missiles. They've never fired a missile. Uh, she then decided I was nitpicking, and uh, she told me so. And so this is the kind of conversation that I got into with this Sarah, and uh, it's a sure way to lose the argument because this woman had just come back from a junket to Israel. She'd gone there with Calvary Chapel South. She didn't tell me how many people had been on the tour or how many times she'd been there, but she made it clear she'd been there and she knew all about Israel and Palestine by being there on a tour. I told her I'd been there. She, I don't know if she believed me or not. But I've been there and I've seen this, you've been there and you didn't see anything, is a good way to get in a fight, not to win someone over. So the cardinal rule, I'd say, is you've got to keep it spiritual to talk to these people. And, and we have some good, we have some experts on how to do that, who've done this a lot. Craig is on, Tom is on, and I've done it a lot. So let's talk about that. How do you talk to someone who you discover has just been to a junket to Israel that believes that the Palestinians are the aggressors and that the Israelis are simply defending themselves, that they have every right to take as much retribution against them as is needed to protect their own children, and that deep down inside she really believes that the Palestinians are usurpers who have tried to take the land away from the Israelis and that they came there after the Israelis were there. She believes that. And uh, not the other way around, of course. And, of course, she believes that they have no biblical or historic connection to the land and that the Israelis do. So th this is what this lady believes. She's absolutely firm on it. You're not going to change her. How would you approach her? I think you hit nail on the head the spiritual aspect. And as followers of Christ, and of course what these people would do, the Sarah would probably consider that you're not a real true follower of Jesus Christ because of all what you just told her. So we have to focus on Jesus and his teachings. What do we learn from Jesus? And that's where our signs like blessed are the peacemakers are very valuable. And 
that would have been probably a nice addition to the stand, to the, the booth there, something like that, uh, who a Jesus bomb. And so we really have to focus on what, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have in common. And so this theological difference is the chasm. I think it's bigger than between Christianity and uh, Islam or Christianity and Judaism. It just seems almost so um, deep and vast at times. The only rational way I think of is actually trying to tie two followers of Christ together to look at what Jesus taught us. And certainly maybe in, in this conversation would be my Palestinian Christians friends. There are Christians in Palestine. And maybe just leave it there, just the idea, and not try to argue it any further than that, but focus on what Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself. Craig, would you like to add some thoughts to this? What I'd like to say to this is is that, uh, Chuck, I I thoroughly agree with you that these people can get under skin. But for me, it's really recognizing that this is the kind of response we're going to get from these people. And typically, it it, it is an anger response that I get from the the Christian blindness. And so I I try to to do the same thing Jesus would do when he was confronted with these people. I'd ask questions back. Instead of trying to have the answer to every one of the questions, I would ask them a question. Do you think it's right to steal property from somebody? Or uh, what do you think Jesus would be doing this? Or, and then and, and try to I'd, I'd tell my story in, in meeting Christian Palestinians and, and, and the abuses that they could have. And then ask questions like, what gives the current person that calls himself a Jew the right to go back and take someone else's property? And, and just uh, those, those kind of questions. Uh, fortunately, uh, I've like, been up to all these uh, vigils, and I've, I've had to, you know, Patty in my ear, I'm talking on the cell phone, praying my wife, you know, praying for me. Uh, and it's, it's, gone, it's gone pretty well. There's obviously been times where I've opened my mouth and stuff, but most of the time, if I, if I can just recognize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but that person standing in front of you is not your enemy. Most of us were on the same side not, not too many years ago myself. And so to have, have compassion and understanding for where they're coming from and try to help them on the journey that we've been on and just uh, put up a few signposts along the way and say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What about this? And just kind of shake their, their cage a little bit. Craig, that's, of course, very proper advice, and that's what we preach all the time. The problem is doing it sometimes. And I exemplified the bad actor in this in this particular case. For instance, I asked the woman that question, what gives the Israelis a right to drive the Palestinians off their land? And she said, well, very simply, it's not their land. They never owned that land. That was given to the Israelis by God himself in the book of Genesis. Don't you know what's in Genesis 12.3? Uh, she knew immediately. She was very schooled in the Scopialism. Uh, she'd probably had many classes on it and probably gone quite beyond what's even taught in Calvary Chapel in their Wednesday night Bible studies or their special Sunday night studies, whatever they do. So she came right back at me with, it isn't their land in the first place. God gave it to them. I knew those verses too, but I allowed her to get ahead of me by telling me that. And then I argued some factual thing about the issue that the Palestinians were there long before the Israelis, and the Israelis are the ones who came in in 1948 
you we all know the story. Uh, and she just looked at me blankly like, uh, you don't believe what God tells you. That, that was her response to me. She basically challenged my Christianity and she started getting make me mad. So how would you respond then when she comes back to you and says, well, God gave the land to the Israelis in, uh, in 3,000 years ago and when the book of Genesis was written? So this is the dilemma. When we ask the question, who gave them the right to do this? They come back with a biblical answer, and we have to have a response to that. What do we say? That's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. You are nothing but a Schofieldite. You're picking up on neo-Christianity. That's, that's 1908 Christianity. What about 2,000 years ago Christianity? What would Jesus have said to this notion? That's where I should have gone in a general, more general way than that. I should have said, well, that's 198 theology of Cyrus A. Schofield, but let's talk about what Jesus would say about the Israelis coming in and killing off Palestinians. She would probably say, well, they don't do that. They only defend themselves. Yeah. But, uh, but still, a better answer, I think, would have been for me. It would have worked a lot better if I would have gone back and, and asked her to clarify where Jesus, and this is why it's always handy to have a New Testament around you can wave it in their face and ask them, give it to them and ask them to tell you where Jesus would have accepted the notion of the Israelites killing the Philistines. Do you know the answer that they would give that? Well, it's in the Old Testament. They would, they would tell you. Yeah. And they would say Jesus always was there. He was God himself manifest. So when the slaying of the Philistines was going on by Samson, Jesus was there holding his, the jawbone of his ass. For that is the kind of thing that the really schooled Zionists will tell you. And these things have a way of getting under your skin. The simpler, the better. And, and I think uh, if I had to do over, which I don't, I would say, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, love your brother, even love your enemy. What would he say about taking someone's property? Because you think you're a great great-grandparent or someone who was a distant kin of yours or maybe not maybe wasn't a kin at all received a promise from God to take it if it was you would you take your neighbor's property because you thought God had given it to you uh, something like that might be more effective of course in the circumstance I was in the woman had fair warning that we were radical pro-Palestinians and that meant radical anti-Semites because we had pictures of Palestinians and things on, on this uh, tent that she just happened to stop at. And she was uh, unusually aggressive. The average Christian Zionist wouldn't have been able to parry the Bible like she did, and they would uh, just shake their head and walk on and say infidels as they passed by us. But uh, she, she did stop. Well, it certainly is a difficult circumstance these kinds of encounters and again it just shows the importance of focusing on Jesus and what he has taught us because there's really no in some cases no earthly way that you could convince someone like that unless they have a road to Damascus experience like what uh, Saul who later became Paul in the New Testament who was persecuting Christians and his paradigm shift was 180 degrees, where he had gone from persecuting to uh, proselytizing 
people to come into the kingdom to be followers of Jesus. The Scofield Reference Bible has a footnote in the book of James, and it says uh, James has been charged with denying the doctrine of eternal security. Of course, Sarah, we know enough about her background in her church to know that she believes that she has been saved in some sort of an experience and that uh, she cannot lose her eternal security, that no matter what she does, she can't lose that. Is there a way that we would, would deal with this? What if she's an accomplice to murder by her acts? What if you are the messenger that's been sent by God, as Tom, as you, as you said one time, to bring a message to Sarah? What if she ignores your message and goes on doing what she's doing? and uh, doesn't consider it or, or take it into consideration. Is that, is that an approach that one can take in challenging these people, or does that create another problem? It might, Chuck, and, you know, the fact is that we're not God, and we do have a finite mind, and there's a lot of spillage that spills out when we try to understand uh, infinite mind like God has, and in the end, God is the final judge, so we have to answer to him. And so we can't say maybe this person is under deception now, but will come out of that deception. And we, Craig has talked about his deception and how he came out of uh, being a Christian Zionist, so maybe not as rabid as this lady here that you encountered, but yet it was a, um, it was a, a, a change. And so was Craig less of a Christian before that than he is now? I don't think so, not from knowing Craig for several years. So I guess we want to judge everybody. That's very easy to do. And we want to compare ourselves to other people. Oh, we're so much better, or we know so much more. But we've all been deceived on on many things. And this is a deception, of course, that that really hurts us when we see this. And we see this on so many fronts, on so many different things besides the issue of Israel-Palestine here in the United States. We're under a lot of deception uh, on a variety of things. We go, go on and on about how we're deceived. We're deceived that we are, for example, the concept of exceptionalism, that we, because we are so exceptional, have to be we're the only ones that can be the policemen of the world. And so people believe that. We have these serial wars where innocent people are being killed in large numbers, and we are oblivious to that. And so uh, there's a lot of things we don't understand, and so all we can do is show the love that Jesus taught us to people like this and try to keep our cool. <laughs> Well, uh, I didn't keep my cool, but are there, maybe Craig can help us, are there passages that we can refer to where where uh, Jesus has instructed us to examine our, our own self, examine our ideas, examine our, our, our thoughts, test ourselves to see if we're right or wrong? Uh, do we, uh, do, do we, where, where do we get the truth that we decide is uh, life-changing and that we're, going to, that we're going, to, going to live on it? 
one scripture that uh, I always enjoy is where um, Paul, I think Paul says that the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures daily, or they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. Uh, and that, that message gets left uh, undone a lot. The people don't, don't really search the scriptures. They don't uh, realize that uh, taking other people's property, like you said, Chuck, is, is, not, is, is not right. Uh, they don't put Jesus in the situation like the lady you talk to. Uh, they have a, a flat Bible concept that they can just, uh, like uh, Tom talks about Bible bingo, just pull scripture here and here, and they all have the same weight. And uh, they, they, don't, they don't have the concept that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, biblical prophecy, and he is the ultimate uh, fulfillment of Israel, the land, like Rob Dalrymple. Uh, if people don't want to listen, if they don't want to uh, get, uh, if they if they want to admit that the possibility of them being wrong, you know, there's there's uh, to me there's no place you can go. Uh, when you you talk about you know, what is what is a Jew today, and how how can you say that a person living in the, in the 21st century has direct direct lineage and in a and somehow uh, linked back to uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah? You know, it just it just doesn't work. And they try to get them to justify that position, and they have there's no there's no justification for it. So if if a person can't trace their lineage back to Abraham and uh, and Sarah, even if they even um, even if they they could, how, does that give them the right to uh, to take somebody else's land? Uh, my my Christian Palestinian neighbors can trace their clan back to the 1500s. You know, well that's not 4,000 years ago, so it's okay uh, to, to take their land away from them. Um, so it, 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 to me, go back to what I said. You ask ask questions and let let them dig themselves a hole that they can't they can't squirm out of, because it's it's a very illogical position, uh, and uh, uh, I, I think it's it becomes indefensible uh, when you when you ask the right questions. But uh, if if they're hardcore, uh, there's nothing you can say. You can get rid of the face. You can jump up and down, and they're not going to change their mind because if if what you're doing anytime we do this we're we're uh, going at their house of cards and we're starting to to tap 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 on something that's very fun, uh, foundational in their their house of cards of their faith and once you start saying well you, you may be wrong here well then if i'm wrong there then i may be wrong about something and i can't i can't handle that so it's back to what you know we we've talked about before you know you just you can't handle the truth and the answer is they no they can't and so uh uh, basically, it's it, it show them show them love. Be Jesus, you know, to them is is what to me has been the, been the most effective, and and not and recognize that they're not our enemy. That's great, Craig, and that that is the that is a key point in all this. Whenever we face up to somebody like uh, um, Sarah, chances are someone else is listening. In the case that I was in, a lot of people were listening. Uh, they may have not have acted like they were listening. They may have had one ear cocked, but uh, I was under test, and I didn't pass the test very well because I thought I could make secular arguments with this person and win over almost anybody with my superior secular knowledge of the situation in Palestine and Israel, and that did not work. So your advice is absolutely great because you've got to think about the other people who are listening that you're a witness to someone else when you're doing these things, and that you're never alone. There's always someone there. Uh, and if, no, if nobody else, God is listening. So uh, 
uh, that that's what comes down to it. And so we're going to make up uh, a series of, uh, of uh, little statements and supporting verses that, that maybe people can kind of remember how to deal with neo-Christians and uh, try to uh, provide some, good, some kind of a little aid. And uh, we, we invite our listeners to, uh, if they have a, a key thought, uh, especially a scriptural one, to pass it on to us. We appreciate it. And we'll continue to try to do our best and try not to make the same mistake over and over again. Uh, but uh, if you make those mistakes in talking to people, we already know you're going to because uh, you just have to uh, you, you just have to live through these things to see your own mistakes. Chuck, I really appreciate your your openness and, and honesty with that because that 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 is that is so good because you know we don't have all the answers and in, to not be afraid when someone confronts us with something. Wow, you know you know I really haven't thought about that. Here, let me. Can I get your email and can you get back to that? Because I'd like to I'd like to research it. I don't have all the answers. To admit that, I think, is, is a very positive thing. And in, in showing humility to, to people also is very positive instead of coming coming across like we have all the answers to all these things because we don't. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chuck and Craig, for your input. I hope this was informative, ladies and gentlemen. And we'll uh, list some resources on the description of this program. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.